Welcome to the Think Christian Podcast, where we are persevering into our fourth year of the show, still making the case that there's no such thing as secular. I'm Josh Larson, editor over at thinkchristian.net, your host. The notion of perseverance shows up a number of times in the Bible, often in the context of Christian suffering. Paul encourages the early church to persevere in Romans and 2 Thessalonians. James talks about perseverance as crucial to the life of faith in his letter. Then we have the Canons of Dort. Love it when I get to reference the Canons of Dort. This is a 17th century reform document that gave us the idea of the perseverance of the saints. Now, here the emphasis is less on how we persevere as believers, though that's still important, and more on the truth that God's love and grace perseveres above all, even in our failings. And ultimately, that's what preserves our faith. Now, what does all this have to do with the new Hulu ABC series, Abbott Elementary, or Eddie Vedder's new album, Earthling? Well, Michelle Reyes and Eric Danielson are going to join me to help me connect those dots. Before we do that, and maybe even as we get into our conversations, would you leave us a rating and a review over at Apple Podcasts? We haven't had a new one since last October, and we don't want to fall off of Apple's radar. Otherwise, it can be hard to find new listeners. It's easy to leave a review as you're listening on the Apple Podcasts app. Just scroll down to click on the show page, then scroll down again until you get to reviews. Thanks much. Okay. I think I hear the recess bell. Let's talk Abbott Elementary. Michelle Reyes is here to discuss the new comedy series from ABC and Hulu. It's set in an underfunded public school in Philadelphia. It's called Abbott Elementary. Now, you know something of what it's like to be a teacher. Michelle, you homeschool your own children. So did that help you personally resonate with the show a bit? Oh, absolutely. I I mean, there's so many things I love about the show. Uh, but yeah, I think in so many ways, Abbott Elementary is about just like celebrating teachers and all the mm-hmm. things they have oh, to yeah. go through uh, and the ways they, they persevere, which I know we're going to talk about too. But yeah, so I have a six-year-old and a three-year-old, and we started our homeschooling journey uh, in the midst of the pandemic here. And what I've learned as a homeschool teacher is— is, is that my kids, not only do they have different personalities, but very different learning styles. Okay. Uh, and so when one curriculum works for one child, it doesn't work for the other. Sure. And so yeah. part of what it means for me to teach my kids is understanding what motivates them, what challenges them, what you yep. know, how to engage them, get them excited, which admittedly is very hard. And what might work one year, you know, as they grow older and change, doesn't work the next year. And so, and I think about my son, he's six. Like, if he gets bored, he just starts doing goofy things. You know? Of course. <laughs> like, yeah. just weird, you know, <laughs> trying to lean on one leg of his chair. I mean, just weird stuff. And so, uh-huh. I, I personally resonated <laughs> with episode five, which was student mm. transfer. Uh, in which two oh, yeah. of the teachers, which, you know, Janine, uh, Quinta Brunson, and then Melissa, um, they're having to deal with this problem student named Courtney. And I thought that episode was so good because on the surface, the Courtney's problematic behavior, I think, mimics a lot of what pundits and others often vocalize about poor black and brown kids, you know, that they're, they're disrespectful of authority, they're not smart, they're insubordinate. 
And admittedly, like the stuff that Courtney does in Janine's classroom is like cringy. It's painful to mm-hmm. watch from her Pledge of Allegiance, like Pledge to Courtney oh, yeah. thing, uh, to uh-huh. the slime <laughs> on, the, on the ceiling. I was like, I would probably go crazy if I was in that situation. But then there's this light bulb at the end of the episode that Janine realizes, I think Courtney is actually really smart and she needs to be yeah. challenged and, yes. and and get her into a higher grade than where she's at now. And so that show actually ends up hitting really deep that there are, not only that there are smart kids in these poor, underfunded public schools, uh, but you know, they deserve better, but but what they need is just more attention and care mm, that we mm-hmm. get to know individual students and and their needs. So I think that's what resonated with me because I'm trying to figure that out with my own kids um, yeah. and just what it means to map out individual students' path to success. And so Janine struggles as a teacher. I mean, it's very comedic. You know, I resonate with her in a lot of ways, but she's the one that figures that out. And it's really a moment in which she shines in that episode. Yeah, that's a really strong episode. Janine, as you mentioned, played by Kinta Brunson, and uh, Brunson actually created Abbott Elementary. She's written a handful of episodes, and uh, as Janine, she plays a second-year, second-grade teacher. So we don't the kids are somewhat more on the periphery, the students, um, but mostly who we see are second graders. And yeah, Janine is just this bundle of enthusiasm and eagerness, even even though she's facing daunting realities. They haven't really worn her down yet. You know, some of the other more veteran teachers have a different perspective. And that's another thing about this show. It just has a wonderful ensemble cast. I can't remember feeling so quickly attached to characters, at maybe like since Parks and Rec, something like that, I would say, where you're just like immediately latch on to not even the main character, but the other supporting characters too. So I, I have to ask Michelle, do you have a favorite character among this ensemble cast? Oh man. Well, first I'll say, I, I completely agree with you that the chemistry on scene between uh, the different teachers, it was just so inviting and and mm-hmm. and uh you know I think the cast themselves in interviews have commented on how much they all love working together mm. uh and and that the humor and ideas just flow and I feel like that just comes across the screen um in so many ways that being said uh, I think one of the characters that I've just found so incredibly entertaining is the lone white teacher Jacob Hill mm. <laughs> played by yeah. Chris Perfetti I just, I think I just feel for him is that, you know, all of his kids are, are, are black and brown and he's trying so hard to connect with them and to be relevant, but it always just falls flat. And, and, and even with other teachers, right? Like he's, he's quoting statistics or quoting Dr. King and the teachers are just like, please just stop. Very <laughs> you know? awkward. Very so he's, awkward. He's very knowledgeable, but yeah, those scenes come across as very Awkward. And I, I think on the one hand, Perfetti's character serves as this critique in a way to progressive white folks who think they get black people. Even I think, for example, that scene in which the students are roasting him and he like mm, tries yeah. to roast them back. And <laughs> like that is I was laughing so hard in that scene. Um, but I think on the other hand, his plight reflects this 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 frustration that I think a lot of white folks have, which is like. He seems to constantly be in this lose-lose situation. You know, mm. how exactly does a white teacher connect well with uh, black and brown kids, um, let alone fellow black and brown colleagues? You know, what does authenticity look yeah. like? Is it possible for him to fit in and not just be the outsider? 
And so I, I think the show is asking those questions in, in, a, in a really provocative sure. but comedic way. And so I, I appreciated just what he adds to the show by by being in it. Yeah, and it is more interested in some of those deeper questions. He's he's at first, you know, very much a joke, as you described, but as the season went on, it kind of progresses, and there's a later episode. I think we've each watched between, you know, six, seven, maybe eight episodes, something like that. I forget which one it is, but where we get to learn a little bit more about Jacob, and you see... Um, not necessarily a drastically different side, but he's more than kind of this this awkward woke guy <laughs> joke, which hits home. I mean, it's a great joke, right? Yeah, like, I yeah. totally get it. But I think that's another thing that shows you why this is a special series. It is expanding each of these characters as well, beyond kind of what we immediately recognize as being funny about them. And we see a little bit of that with my favorite character, which is Barbara Howard, played mm. by Cheryl Lee Ralph, this veteran kindergarten teacher. And it's this it's the episode where she and Jacob actually start this garden together, a vegetable garden to supplement the kids' meals. And it's an uncharacteristic episode for her because usually she doesn't try to rock the boat. She's been there for a long time. She knows what change is possible, what change isn't possible. Jacob kind of drags her into this scheme as an idealist, like Janine, he's a fellow idealist, and it kind of comes full circle for Barbara, too, how that works out. So, yeah, Cheryl Lee Ralph, I think, is just hysterical as this sort of imperious teacher who doesn't lord her experience over the others until, like, she reaches a point where it's like, okay, I've got to say something. Like, yeah. I just got to lay down the line <laughs> here. And so um, yeah. she's probably my favorite at this point. I would say, you know, most of the teachers we meet, not all of them, but most, they model perseverance in their own perseverance in their own unique ways. You know, Barbara's way is very different from Janine's. Barbara, she feels like she's positive and she's confident in the difference she can make in her students' lives, but she's not like going to revolutionize the system, you know? I think it's interesting to step back maybe, and I'd like to hear from you, uh, even separate from these characters in the show. More generally, this idea of Christian perseverance, how does that differ for you, Christian perseverance, uh, Michelle, than just sticking with something? You know, what mm. makes it distinct for you? Yeah, that's a great question. Well, in preparation for our conversation today, I did actually go and Google <laughs> perseverance, uh, looked it up in the Merriam-Webster dictionary. Uh -huh. Perseverance is defined as the continued effort to do or achieve something despite difficulties or failure or opposition. And I think certainly when it comes to the, the biblical sort of scriptural understanding of perseverance, like we do this not for any sort of earthly or material or physical success, but a spiritual success, you know, this sort of spiritual crown of glory that we're pursuing. And so mm -hmm. I think that protects us from sort of measuring our, our perseverance and our efforts in terms of like worldly metrics, okay. uh, which, which I think is, is an important distinction, if you will. But I, I did appreciate the ways in which perseverance does come through in this show because, as you mentioned, this is an inner city context. It's an underfunded public school. And, you know, everything from, like, electricity to glue to rugs, like, the teachers have nothing to offer their yeah. kids. And they're like, how are we— how are we going to compete with, with other schools? How are we going to just get these kids the basic necessities that they need to learn? I still can't believe that this show pulled off what they were able to. I mean, these really deep, heavy topics, but with such humor and depth. I mean, a comedy about inner city public schools, like, 
Yeah. <laughs> uh, I didn't think that but was it's, possible. it's very light, right? It is. And you have this sort of comedic villain, quote unquote, in, in the principal, Ava. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think if I was to have a secondary favorite character in the show, it would be Lisa Ann Walters, character Melissa, because she always just knows a guy <laughs> to get things delivered uh, yep. f- from the rug in the first episode to the chicken eggs, which end up being snake eggs. You know, she is by far the most resourceful teacher on the Mm. show. And so I think what we see come through in Abbott Elementary is that perseverance and resourcefulness go hand in hand. Interesting. Uh, And and, uh, it made me think of the verse in Galatians uh, 6, 9 about, you know, let us not grow weary of doing good or in due season we will reap if we do not give up. And I just feel like with these teachers, they just keep going. You know, they don't quit. They figure out a way to get it done, you know, because they're passionate about helping these kids succeed. And, um, you know, so in that sense, I think it's inspiring. And I'm thinking about the time in which the show is coming out. I mean, two years into the pandemic, teachers are burnt out. They're stressed. A lot yes. of them are quitting, you know, like it's, yes. it's hard to be a public school teacher right now. I wonder is part of just why this show is so popular and has such high ratings. As I mentioned before, Abbott Elementary celebrates teachers, uh, mm-hmm. and 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 uh, it, you know it's kind of like a rallying cry, like keep going, like yeah, <laughs> uh, you're yeah. doing good work. You know, keep keep persevering. Yeah, I mean it has definitely struck a nerve, and I, I'm sure sure that is a part of it. Um, and I'm so glad you brought up uh, Melissa Scamenti, I think is the character's name, played by Lisa Ann Walter. <laughs> Another second grade teacher, very much tough love veteran teacher, right? And mm-hmm. there is a moment in an early episode between her and Janine that, that for me, I think kind of really helps capture a Christian understanding of perseverance too. This is when the subject of burnout, speaking of teachers, you know, what they've had to endure and, and go through the last couple of years, that comes up between Janine and Melissa. Just burnout, you know, in a non-pandemic scenario, just <laughs> straight up burnout, right? And burnout is maybe you can think of as the opposite of perseverance in some way. Mm. Um, but Janine asks Melissa, how do you and Barbara keep yourselves from caring too much if that's a thing? How do you and Barbara stop yourselves from caring too much if that's a thing? Because it's the opposite. We care so much, we refuse to burn out. If we burn out, who's here for these kids? That's why you got to take care of yourself. What I thought was interesting about that is it was reflective of God's part in our own perseverance as believers. You know, if you look at God as the one who cares so much so that he not only encourages us in our perseverance, but then perseveres on our behalf in a lot of ways. So that was always also a, just a really nice moment between two teachers. And I like how they, as so often happens in the show, just when it starts to get really serious or little intense like that, they kind of deflate it with a joke, which I won't spoil here, but there's just kind of a nice gag <laughs> between Janine and Melissa at that point too. It's yeah. it's the perfect tone that this show tries to hit. So is there anything else about Abbott Elementary you wanted to touch on, Michelle, or do you think oh, we, we've given this, it its due? This is one of those those shows where you could just like go through it episode by episode. There's just something uh, in each of them to talk about. But one other thing that just really stuck out to me was the language in the show. Um, okay. <laughs> I absolutely loved episode four, which is about new tech. Um, you, you mentioned Mrs. Howard. You know, she's such an intriguing character in that episode. But Abbott Elementary, they brought, you know, slang, words like John and and, and Bowl yeah, and others yeah. into, you know, network TV. And uh, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's so funny because Janine 
is standing in front of a, a chalkboard or whiteboard or whatnot with her students. And she has all of these like slang <laughs> words on the board. And it's supposed to be like introductory level is like hoagie and John. And then like advanced, you know, is like ard, which is like all right or bowl for uh-huh. boy or old head. <laughs> and I think cheesesteak is up there too, but it's like two separate words. <laughs> it's like such an homage to, to Philadelphia. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, and, and, I mean, one, that's just such a comedic moment. But two, then, you know, the, the other teachers, Mrs. Howard, um, they don't they don't like that approach. Like, that doesn't go with, like, classic uh, sure. phonic principles, right? And, yeah, right. And, and lots of comedy thrown in. But I think there's also something really provocative happening, too, again, as the show does. It's because it begs the question, how do kids learn language? Um, mm-hmm. And, and uh, even just how do we contextualize our lessons to our children even yes. within the United States, where there's different cultures, different uh, you know sorts of uh, variations of language and, and whatnot, and even just the debate between standard English and African American vernacular English, how kids speak in Philly specifically, but then also sort of this innovative outside of the box approach to you know helping close the literacy gap between black and white uh, students. And it's all infused, again, in this episode in a very lighthearted way. Um, but I think for folks who are entrenched in these debates, I, I think it, it, it hits home. Mm. But just that chalkboard, <laughs> yeah, uh, uh, that, that, was, that was fantastic. <laughs> you know what works somewhat similarly, and this is in um, two of the more recent episodes that I've seen, is this speaks to the context that these kids are in and helping them to learn within their context is how much dance begins to play a role in two back-to-back episodes. Mm. So it's just really interesting um, that that's the context where dancing and even one of their teachers learns, like, this is a way to connect with them, to kind of, you know, even though it's not me, it's not my natural, um, the way I would teach, I'm going to, you know, a little dancer will kind of break the ice with them. And then the an episode is built entirely around a step class that Janine is teaching one way. Ava, the principal you mentioned, gets involved (laughs) and is teaching a completely different way. We should mention Janelle James plays Ava, and she is somewhat of a villain character. But yeah, to that point of the show growing as it goes on, in that um, step class episode, you also see another side of Ava as well. So, That's so yeah, just a really, really good show. If listeners, if you want more about Abbott Elementary, as we said, a lot of people have really fallen in love with it. Brian Howell wrote about the series for the TC website. We just published that today over at thinkchristian.net. You, you know Brian, right, Michelle? Oh, I think he's a, from he's a good, good friend uh, and also offered some uh, consultations on my book, Becoming All Things. So there you uh, go. I, I even quoted him in it in the first chapter. All right, yeah, Brian from Wheaton College. So really glad to have him writing, and um, he covered Abbott Elementary for us at thinkchristian.net. So check that out. Michelle, really good to talk to you again. Thanks for spending some time with me. Oh, so fun. Thanks for having me. Thompson, and that was just a little bit of Ashley McBride's Hang In There Girl from her 2020 album Never Will. It's nice to get some country on here for you, and this episode's theme of perseverance just screamed out for that song. 
It's just one of the hang-in-there kind of songs I've curated for this episode's mix. In addition to that one, you'll find cuts from Eddie Vedder, Peter Gabriel, Beyonce, David Bowie, Journey, Michael Jackson, and a lot more. A bit later in the show, you'll hear a bit of Gloria Gaynor's I Will Survive as well. I remember when I was a kid, we could call the local radio station and dedicate song requests to friends, though the main use of that little bit of pre-social media cultural engagement was probably to profess undying love for someone that we had a crush on, and I don't think I'm the only one who ever did that, coming in at a close second would probably have to be sending out songs of encouragement to friends going through a hard time. Music is so good for that. I feel so much less alone when I hear my feelings, struggles, fears expressed by others. And I may just be a pushover, but dang, if those encouraging songs don't actually work, it's amazing. Find the list by searching for the Think Christian profile and following it. You'll see this mix right there on the list of playlists. And if you have a long distance dedication or request, tag me on Twitter at John J. Thompson, and I'll see what I can do. Until next time, this is JJT encouraging you to hang in there if you're going through the ringer. Persevere. I believe in you. Josh Larson here, back with the TC Podcast, where Eric Danielson is going to help me catch up with a musician who I appreciated in his heyday, but never really fanatically embraced, which is probably why I've lost track of him over the years. This is Eddie Vedder, and Vedder's Pearl Jam was at the height of their popularity while I was in high school. Certainly, I much preferred them to the hair metal that I lived through in middle school. I saw that as a progression. Uh, I can say that. But Eric, I, I can't say I dove into Pearl Jam or grunge as a whole that much. Where are you at? What's your history? I know you're younger than me, so a little different kind of exposure to this music, music I'm sure. But what's your history with grunge in general and better in particular? Yeah, well, I didn't, I didn't mean to wear um, a flannel shirt while we were talking about this, so that just kind of worked out. You're but, doing your part. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I'm just a little bit younger. I think I was 10 or 11 when Nirvana's big record, Nevermind, and, and Pearl Jam's big record, 10, those debuts came out um, around the same time. And, you know, I was starting to see this music because I was like a good Baptist kid sneaking MTV while my parents were out of the room. But I don't know, okay. like, I kind of was, you know, I don't know if you felt this way growing up, but like, I always sort of felt at times, and I don't know that this was ever a spoken thing, but that you had to kind of pick between bands. So I felt this like urge to pick between Nirvana and Pearl Jam early on. And I think I, I think I sided with Nirvana right away just because Kurt Cobain was such a dynamic figure and their music did remind me, you know, it was, it was obviously covered in a lot of distortion, but reminded me of the Beatles and stuff that I was familiar with. And then I think, you know, just a few years later, maybe four or five years later, as I got into high school and obviously Nirvana, you know, there's, tragic circumstances with Kurt and Nirvana wasn't around anymore and Pearl Jam was still making music. I, I, I realized I didn't have to choose between the two. I could embrace both of their catalogs. Mm. And Pearl Jam just kind of went on this run. People that were around in the 90s will remember where they were really kind of anti-stardom after they got huge and made these records that had really cool songs on them, radio songs, but also stuff that was really experimental and certainly I think was meant to weed out some of the casual fans and I think just that that mixture mm. of accessibility and kind of strangeness really attracted me to their work. And I wouldn't say that I'm a Pearl Jam super fan, but they're a band that I've definitely kept up with over the years and have always really admired just kind of the way that they've gone about their career. Yeah, I think the choosing bands thing makes sense to me now that I think back on it. The, the stuff I was more into, I probably felt a slight pressure to either be a, a U2 person or an REM person. Sure, yeah. um, And I never wanted to make that choice, but that was kind of like a little bit of the more, um, I don't know what you would have called it those days, early alternative, I guess. Uh, but yeah, there was definitely that sort of pressure. 
Uh, so I can see what you're saying there. And then, so how long, I don't know if you know off the top of your head, but how many years has Vedder been um, putting out solo albums or doing solo work? You know, that's a great question. I don't know off the top of my head. The the first really big thing that I remember him doing was the Into the Wild soundtrack for that film. You know, a lot of people yeah, so remember that's the song right, yeah. Heart Sun and, and some of the stuff he did with that. And so I know we'll get into this here in a minute, but it's interesting with this album that he just put out, Earthling, it's really the first like big rock record he's put out under his own name because so much of the other stuff has been, you know, more folky. It's him busting out the ukulele and making that like his primary instrument. And so much of his solo stuff to date has been that. It's just been a lot quieter, a lot folkier, a lot more acoustic. So that's the first big thing I remember. He may have done some things here and there before that, but yeah. Yeah, I'm looking it up here as you're talking, and, and you're right, you nailed it. It was 2007, the soundtrack okay. for Into the Wild, yeah. which I did absolutely love. And then after that was ukulele songs. So it looks like this is his third solo album, Earthlane. And, you know, I have to say, despite the reticence I expressed uh, at the top, <laughs> I absolutely love the opening number to yeah. this album called Invincible. And I'm actually a little bit embarrassed about how much I love it because... <laughs> It is such a soaring, affirming, encouraging sort of power ballad. It's it's yeah. a lot of emotion for me, Eric. A lot of emotion being expressed. But I got to say, I can't resist it. to hear what you thought of Invincible in particular, Eric. Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm always just like slightly nervous when big rock stars do their own thing, you know, apart from their main project, even though Vetter, like I said, has done some stuff on his own. And the song starts out with when people hear it, you know, kind of this like almost like spoken thing where it's like he's kind of like testing the mic and you know making sure we're listening. And I thought, uh oh, this is going to get just kind of a little bit too self-referential or, or whatever. And then no, but I'm with you. Like 30 seconds into the song, I was I was good. And I think there is a great chorus to it. It's got a really nice rock feel, but also just really fits with a lot of the themes of this record, which is, you know, kind of walking through hardship in um, the knowledge that you're loved and that you matter and that, you know, um, that there are other people around to support you. And And he just does a really nice job of conveying that without it becoming overly sentimental or kind of cloying. It, it feels really authentic, which kind of fits, you know, the better vibe that he's kind of cultivated over the years. Because I feel like he's somebody that went from a really kind of dark figure early in Pearl Jam's career to someone who seems like he's a, a pretty generous artist at this point and, and really generous in his songwriting. And, and so I think Invincible really um, illustrates that well. Yeah, there's an authenticity, I think, that I am responding to also. It's emotional, but also in an authentic way. Yeah, And I think that's a distinction of his voice, too. I mean, Vedder has one of the most distinctive rock voices. And it struck me, uh, of course, because we're thinking about this notion of perseverance. It's almost the voice of perseverance. It's mm -hmm. very expansive and very echoing. I think on Invincible, he even sings about echoes and reverberations, yeah. right? And you get the feeling that, it would be hard to stop or suppress this voice. Like it's going to persevere. And and here he is 30 years about later than Pearl Jam's heyday and still going strong. I mean, the voice sounds sound strong to me. 
Yeah, his voice really, I mean, it it sounds, I think, maybe more mature than it did in 1991, but it really doesn't sound much different, you know, um, tone or, or timbre-wise, which is pretty remarkable for someone who's, you know, the the touring schedule they keep up and the amount of work that they've done. And, you know, I, I've thought a lot about, just as I've listened to this record a couple of times, just kind of the remarkable thing that he's still around 30 years later. You know, we know... Unfortunately, there was a lot of really tragic circumstances that surrounded a lot of the figures in that Seattle community with drugs and and all kinds of stuff. And I remember watching videos on MTV, you know, interviews in the mid '90s, right after Pearl Jam got big, where he was he seemed really despondent and really frustrated with kind of the the expectations of success. And and if anybody had just like packed it up, you know, in the '90s mm-hmm. and said, "I'm not doing this anymore," I would have expected it to be Eddie Vedder. So the fact that he's still doing it, I feel like he's physically the voice of perseverance, but also kind of figuratively too. Yeah. Yeah. So if we think about perseverance in Christian terms, you know, a particularly faith-filled understanding of what perseverance is first, give me a little bit of an idea of what that means to you, Eric, and then maybe connect that back to the album in any other ways. If there's, you know, perhaps another song that you feel like resonates with that as well. Yeah. I was thinking about this as we prepared to do this. And I, on some level, I feel like the least qualified person to talk about perseverance. I just feel like the last two years especially have been really hard. And, you know, I think that it's probably shaken a lot of my concepts of what perseverance is. And I I think this may not sound, you know, super theologically rich or, or satisfying to listeners, but I think what Christian perseverance means to me at this point in early 2022 is that you know, it's not about us mustering up some sort of supernatural resilience or courage. It's, I, I think it means that we have to, like the only way that we're going to keep going is to remain soft-hearted. When the world is throwing all the things that it is at us, when we're struggling with our own, you know, problems and sins and anxieties, like I think the only way that we keep going is by not becoming hard people and and staying soft people. And I think that our faith gives us resources to do that. Ultimately, I think, you know, a lot of the the latter half of the New Testament is talking about how God is the one who keeps us persevering ultimately, right? Like it's not any work that we're doing, but it's just by like his grace that he just keeps his hand on us and keeps us going. And so to me, really my definition, my working definition of perseverance right now is like remaining humble and soft-hearted under the under the umbrella or under the knowledge that God is not going to let go of me, that I can keep going because he's going to keep going, you know? And I think that fits in with a lot of, honestly, what Vedder is is talking about in this record. You know, there's on Invincible, he talks about the idea that we're invincible when we love. You know, the idea that if we are being loving people, we will keep going and we will we will not be um, broken completely. And you know, later on the on the song Fallout today, um, he talks about that we shouldn't make light of our suffering, we shouldn't make light of our pain. And the, really the way that we keep going through that is to share it with other people that we shouldn't be ashamed of that. I think that fits really nicely into 
you know, what we understand from, from Paul's letters about bearing each other's burdens and, and needing different kinds of people in the body of Christ. And so to me at this point, perseverance is just like putting one foot in front of the other, trying to care about other people and knowing that I need a lot of help to make that happen. It's wonderful. And yeah, it especially resonates, I think, with Fallout today. There is a sharing of burdens that's yeah. expressed in that song. I think um, at one point, the lyrics, he, he sings, the fallout today was just a test of strength. Mm. Don't feel this alone or carry it on your own. Yeah. And I think for me, Eric, you know what, what you're saying is encouraging because I think my fallback a lot of times is to think of Christian perseverance as this solitary thing, yeah. um, you know, where, where you have to be tough, you have to be stoic, sort of the opposite of what you're just describing, if not more aggressive in your response. But yeah, it's, it's more of this solitary thing in the face of challenges or struggles in your faith, which this song speaks against a little bit, you know, that works. I think fallout today works as a nice reminder that we can persevere in community. Yeah. And, um, that's in the church of course, but even more than that, what you were also saying, we, we persevere alongside Christ in our faith, this idea that when we stumble, we stumble into his grace. Yeah. So yeah, I love, I love what you're saying there. And I do think fallout today is a good song that connects with that. I think even just from like films and other, yeah, pop culture artifacts, like we, we picture perseverance as like this lone fighter or this lone, you know, sojourner or this lone athlete that's like dragging themselves up the hill. And maybe it looks like that at some point, you know, to somebody, but like, I've just never really done well when I've tried to do that. You know, it's, it's never really worked out for me. And I think, which I think is what's made it so hard for people the last couple of years is we've been isolated from each other. And so it feels hard to persevere because we don't always feel like we have those people right next to us to pull us along. But I think it's true. Ho- yeah. Hopefully we do. Hopefully some people do. But but even resting in the knowledge that like ultimately God through means and through His Spirit like is the one that keeps us moving. We don't have to drag ourselves through the mud, you know, to make it to the finish line. So yeah, and the context of the last two years is absolutely crucial to consider, especially when we bring the church into this in the sense of that community for many of the churches who you know, we're not able to meet in person, didn't meet in person, are just kind of easing back into that. And that is that community of perseverance that you lost, may have been able to um, keep up with in some digital ways, but not in the way certainly we were used to or had kind of fed us before. So yeah, Yeah. it definitely has looked different in in recent years. Well, thank you. I got to say, you know, um, you mentioned a couple albums, maybe a few weeks ago, you had your eye on to write about or talk about at Think Christian. And when uh, Vetter's Earthling was among them, I was like, oh, didn't know we had a new one out, you know, <laughs> but this, I'm really glad I had the chance to to give it a deeper listen than I would have and to talk about it. So thanks for that. Yeah. Are you, sure. um, are you still thinking about writing about one of those other ones? I think it was Big Thief as well has a new release you're yeah. pretty excited about. Maybe so. There's been a lot, you know, I'm always of the opinion that when people are like, hey, there's no good new music that they're just not looking in the right places. There's been a lot of good records out in the first two months of of this year. And Spoon put out a great one. Big Thief put out an amazing one that I, I'm really still trying to wrap my head around. So I'm, I'm trying to make my way slowly again through the, I think like 80 minutes of music on that record. So if I do and come up with any, you know, little diamonds in the rough, I'll, tr- I'll try to share that with some folks. Yeah. All right. Sounds good. Yeah. We'll keep in touch about that too. And, and hopefully um, something will pop up that we can, we can do with TC. Thanks so much, Eric. We'll talk to you down the road. All right. Yeah. Thanks, Josh. Appreciate it.
to know that one was coming, given the theme of this episode. A bit of Gloria Gaynor and I Will Survive There from 1978. In a Ligonier blog post published in 2017, the late R.C. Sprawl wrote this, which references back to the Canons of Dort. I think this little catchphrase, perseverance of the saints, is dangerously misleading. It suggests that the perseverance is something that we do, perhaps in and of ourselves. I believe that saints do persevere in faith, and that those who have been effectually called by God and have been reborn by the power of the Holy Spirit endure to the end. However, they persevere not because they are so diligent in making use of the mercies of God. The only reason we can give why any of us continue on in the faith is because we have been preserved. So I prefer the term, the preservation of the saints, because the process by which we are kept in a state of grace is something that is accomplished by God. That's R.C. Sprawl. Perhaps a little encouragement there for you as you persevere in your own way. Thank you to Eric Danielson and Michelle Reyes for joining me to talk Abbott Elementary and Eddie Vedder's Earthling. If you want to connect with either of them on Twitter, you can find them at Eric Danielson and at Dr. Michelle Reyes. We're on Twitter, too, as well as Facebook. Look for us at Think Christian. And we're also on YouTube. There are video versions of the show on the Think Christian YouTube channel. Speaking of YouTube, if you are watching there right now, you did miss out on a couple of tracks that we pulled from the Spotify playlist put together by John J. Thompson. You can catch up with those songs and a bunch of others, all chosen around the theme of perseverance by searching for the Think Christian podcast on Spotify. The Think Christian Podcast is a listener-supported production of Reframe Ministries, a family of programs designed to help you see your whole life reframed by God's gospel story. Visit reframeministries.org for more info. Our audio engineer and post-production supervisor is John Reeder, and Reframe's co-director overseeing content strategy is Robin Bassett. Thank you so much for listening. We'll get together in a couple of weeks to talk about another aspect of our pop culture fandom and look for how it connects to our faith.